There are several things in life, events in life, that are incredibly expensive. It seems like every time I ran into a financial professional, I came out of the deal, you know, with the experience, and they came out of it with the money. The key to being set financially as a doctor. All right, so welcome back to the EM Stud Podcast. I'm talking with Dr. Jim Dolly from Utah with the White Coat Investor. So, Jim, could you tell us more about yourself? Sure. I'm an emergency physician, uh, trained, uh, did my undergraduate work at Brigham Young University and then went to the University of Utah for medical school and then trained at the University of Arizona in emergency medicine. Subsequently, I spent about four years in the military um, with the Air Force and Navy mostly and uh, then got out of the military in 2010 and have been practicing in a small democratic group of emergency physicians here in suburban Utah ever since. Man, that's really cool. And you've done some great work. Uh, we'll plug your website right now. It's, correct me if I'm wrong, but www.whitecoatinvestor.com. And if you haven't had a chance to look at this site, you've got to go by there. Um, and I, I right now want to kind of find out, how did you get started in this, Jim? I mean, tell me, what's your backstory? You know, it's really interesting as far as the website goes. Um, as I got into residency, maybe halfway through residency, I finally kind of hit the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, when I was an undergraduate, I had no interest in business or finance or anything like that. But um, as I went through medical school and particularly residency, I kept feeling like I was being taken advantage of by the financial services industry. It seems like every time I ran into a financial professional, I came out of the deal, um, you know, with the experience and they came out of it with the money. And you know what they say <laughs> when, when somebody with experience meets somebody with money, the guy with the experience leaves with the money and the guy with the money leaves with the experience. And, <laughs> and that was me. You know, I mean, I had been ripped off by a realtor, by an appraiser, by a recruiter, uh, by an insurance agent, by a financial advisor. And it was just, I kind of hit the point where I'd had enough. And I decided if I don't learn about this stuff, they're just going to keep taking advantage of me over and over again. And, you know, so I was getting my a pay, real paycheck for the first time in my life, you know, as a resident. I know it doesn't feel very big, but it was, you know, it was more than I'd ever made before. And felt like it was time to figure out what I was supposed to be doing with it. And so I started reading. Uh, you know, I lived next to a used bookstore. And so I'd go over there and, and pick up some financial books and read and read and read. And, you know, read some blogs and participated on some internet forums. And after a few years, I realized, number one, this stuff isn't that complicated. And number two, nobody's teaching it to doctors at all. And so I got sick of typing the same thing over and over again into internet forums where I discovered I was doing more helping than I was being helped at that point. And so I decided to start the blog mostly so I could just post a link to the answers to the questions people were asking rather than having to type out the answer uh, over and over again. And so that was the birth of the White Coat Investor in 2011. And because it was in a niche that really nobody else was in at the time, it just grew like crazy. I mean, there was a huge need for this information among doctors and similar high-income professionals. And so it really took off and uh, far exceeded any expectations I ever had. And it's been really a fun journey these last seven years. Man, that is exciting. That's really cool to hear how this all began. I mean, 
you know, I work in an academic center and we get residents all the time. And when they start to be second years, they start moonlighting maybe in third years and they start learning about their paycheck and their signing bonus. They're, they're really asking some tough questions financially. And I've more than a dozen times referred them to some of your articles on your website. Uh, so let's see if we can reach in and give these medical students, these EM studs, uh, a good fresh start so that, you know, like you and, and like me, I, I share the same pathway. I was taken advantage of by a lot of different people. Um, and learn through the school of hard knocks, and then you know, fortunately, didn't get taken to the cleaners too bad. But let's let's help our students out. So let's go through. Uh, I've been browsing your website, and there's a couple of articles that we might talk about. Let's start with best practices during medical school about maybe some spending and saving techniques. What do you have to say about that? Sure. Well, I mean, there's there's a few things that a medical student can do, um, but they're limited compared to what you can do as a brand new attending. The key to being set financially as a doctor has little to do with what you do in medical school, little to do with what you do in residency, and everything to do with what you do your first year out of residency. And so part of what you need to be doing financially during medical school and residency is preparing for that year, that most important financial year in your life. And so as you're going through your training, you're not only preparing yourself to practice medicine and save lives and uh, you know, and do all this wonderful good that doctors can do, but you're also preparing yourself to handle that doctor income that's coming because that's the hard part. For some reason, doctors really stink at going from a, a resident paycheck to an attending paycheck and not just blowing the whole thing. And so I think that's the perspective you need to have as you go through medical school. You've got to realize, okay, the money is coming and I've got to be prepared when it hits. And so you're trying to educate yourself about finances before that time comes so that you're prepared to, to live your life the way you need to that first couple of years out of residency to get yourself set financially. And if you'll do that, you spend your entire career basically other than those first few years living the good life rather than scraping by and wondering why you're having a hard time making ends meet on two or $300,000 a year. So I think that's the first thing, is to realize where you really make the difference, which is as a brand new attending. But certainly there are two other things you do as a medical student that really can have a big impact on your finances. The first is probably specialty choice. And we're all attracted to different specialties for different reasons, and that's part of the fun of medical school, is spending a few years trying to figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life. And you certainly don't want to pick a specialty purely for financial considerations. I mean, you want to pick something where you feel like you're making a difference, where you're good at it, and where you love it. Um, but realize that if there are two specialties that you love equally, and one of them has a much better paycheck and lifestyle associated with it, that those things are going to matter far more to you in 10 years than they do right now as a medical student. I think as a second or third year medical student, you're never more idealistic uh, in your entire career than you are at that time. And so I think it's important to maybe add a healthy dose of realism to a decision that's going to have an impact throughout your career. But the other reason it's important to choose a specialty that you love is because then you'll be able to do it for a long time. And that longevity of your career has profound financial impact. I mean, if you can do something for 30 years and enjoy it, and not burn out doing it in 10 years like some docs do. You know, you don't have to save nearly as much money. Uh, you can make a lot more financial mistakes. You know, that, that paycheck for a longer period of time can, can really make a difference. Uh, 
But as far as what you can do right now to help your finances in medical school, the key is to minimize the amount of debt you take out. You know, because we all start a certain amount of distance, you know, behind the eight ball. It's almost like you're running this track race against your medical school or your uh, undergraduate roommates, right? And they get a start at the start line and you start 100 yards behind it with all that student loan debt you have. And you got to start after they do too because you spent that extra time in school. And so the key is to really try to minimize how far behind you're going to start this race. And so that means taking out as little debt as possible. Now, if you're already a med stud, you've already basically committed to most of your medical school expenses. There's no longer an option to go to medical school in a cheaper town or to go to a school with uh, cheaper tuition or anything like that. So you're not going to make a huge impact on the amount of debt you take out. But there are a few things you can do. I mean, there's this notion out there among a lot of medical students that you can't work during medical school. And I, obviously, you're not going to work during your surgery and OBGYN rotation your third year. But there are opportunities during medical school when a lot of people actually do some paid work. Uh, probably the classic times are between your first and second year in, during that summer. And then again, you know, late in your fourth year, a lot of people get a job where maybe they're doing H&Ps or they're a research assistant or something like that. And that all that income you earn can then be spent instead of taking out additional loans. And so that is one way to minimize your loan burden. Obviously, living frugally makes a big difference. You got to realize when you're taking out loans and living your life on loans as a medical student, by the time you pay that back, anything you buy, the real cost of that is about three times what the sticker price is. So you think you're buying an $8 meal at McDonald's, but really it's a $24 meal by the time you pay for it a decade from now. And so I think it's important to keep that perspective in mind um, that when you're living on borrowed money, uh, those debts can grow pretty quickly. And Jim, what about, uh, what about some budgeting advice? Do you recommend any of the apps like Mint or any of the other kind of sources to establish those, bendi- those spending uh, patterns and you know, strategies? Yeah, I think it's great to budget. I think it's hard to budget on borrowed money, though. It's really tough, especially if you get all your money right up front, as a lot of uh, students do. You know, they borrow it all out in August, and then they've got to live on it until, you know, the next August, or at least until they get the second installment the next semester. And so, obviously, you got to divide what's left after paying your tuition and fees and live on that for the month. And that, you know, that's similar enough to a paycheck that, um, you know, that, budgeting, however you choose to do it, whether it's Mint or whether it's you need a budget or whether it's, you know, an Excel document, which is what my wife and I used in medical school uh, and still do, really. Um, But the actual process of it matters far more than what app or what solution you use to do it. The key is when you run out of money, you got to stop spending. And if you don't know how much you're spending, you can't know when you run out of money. Um, you know, budgeting, budgeting itself isn't that complicated. So yeah, that kind of brings us into the credit card issues. I've known a lot of people that have had some significant battles with credit card debt. So can you comment on that? Sure. Um, you know, a, a lot of people don't realize credit cards aren't for credit. If you need credit, you're far better off taking out a student loan than a credit card. Um, you know, you can get a student loan. It's not a great rate. Don't get me wrong. Having to borrow money at five, six, seven, eight percent isn't great. But it's a heck of a lot better than 20% or 30% that you might be paying on a credit card. Really, a credit card's for convenience. Uh, You know, to buy something online or to book an airline ticket or, 
you know, to get some of the credit card rewards you get when you do your spending through a credit card. That's what credit cards are for. They're not for credit. So I would try to avoid ever borrowing money on a credit card. You know, the one uh, exception I've really seen uh, somebody do with this in medical school is they get a, you know, especially if they have a decent, you know, credit history when they come into medical school from a prior career or something, is they get a 0% credit card and put their expenses on that. And, you know, when they get to the end of the 0% period, 12 or 15 months or whatever it is, then they take out the student loan and pay off the credit card. And that allows them to delay the, the growth on that money for 12 to 15 months. And so that's a pretty slick trick. But I think a lot of people get into trouble trying to do those slick tricks and end up having all kinds of money sitting on a credit card growing at 20 or 30 percent until they become an attending. And that's obviously a huge financial mistake. So I would try to get out of the habit of using a credit card. I mean, medical school expenses, even interviewing expenses as a resident, uh, you know, these are all, you see these coming years down the road. So they need to be included as part of your budget, you know, so you're saving up money so you can go, so you can apply to residency, so you can go on residency interviews. You need to be putting that money away from, uh, you know, from day one. Well, that's sound advice there, Jim. Uh, one of the things I saw on your website that I've, I've quoted as well is this quote, as, as we prepare for you, as you talk about the most important financial year of your life, that first year of residency, uh, the quote of one spouse, one house, one job. Could you expand on that statement? Sure. Uh, there are several things in life, events in life that are incredibly expensive and that are optional. <laughs> One of which is getting divorced. Um, and that's probably the biggest financial hit that a physician ever takes. And so that's where the one spouse comes from. Uh, if you only, uh, Getting married actually increases your net worth statistically. Uh, but you have to do it right the first time because getting divorced, even just once, uh, leaves you in a worse financial position than if you had never gotten married in the first place. Alimony for doctors, whether they're male or female, tends to be uh, much larger than you might imagine. Uh, in addition to, you know, child support payments and cutting your assets in half, uh, not to mention paying all the lawyers as you go through the process. And so if you can stick with one spouse, that will have a profound effect on your finances. But in addition to that, two other really expensive events are to uh, change jobs. Changing jobs is expensive, especially if you have to go through another partnership track. Um, but even if you just have to, you know, spend some time out of work as you go between jobs and, you know, you're relicensing and recredentialing, um, those are expensive events to be out of work for a few months. Uh, and that can really set you back financially. Moving is also very expensive. Um, you know, going from one house to another has huge transaction costs. Round trip, getting in and out of a house costs about 15% of the value of the house. So if you're, you know, living in a half million dollar house, that's $75,000 to change houses. And so, um, you know, the, if you can stick with one house, one spouse, and one job, that's going to put you ahead financially quite a bit. And that's, uh, again, some wisdom there. Thanks so much for sharing that. Now, we had touched on student loans, but let's get more granular here. So let's talk about the, the student loans. And as you anticipate moving into a situation where you're able to pay some of that, perhaps in residency, but for sure when you're in attending, uh, let's talk a little bit about the refinancing of student loans and discuss some rates and paying it off. Sure. Um, it's interesting that we bring it up on a podcast that's directed at medical students because they're is not a lot you can do as far as managing your loans as a medical student um, that's going to have 
you know, any sort of an impact. This is really something you can maybe do in residency, but really as you get to the end of residency with the contract in hand is the time to really be addressing the student loan refinancing. What most medical students ought to be doing um, with their student loans is enrolling in the government revised pay-as-you-earn or repay program as soon as possible. And the reason why is that program actually subsidizes your interest. Uh, it pays for, uh, you know, you have to pay a certain payment based on your income, and then half of the remaining interest above and beyond that payment is subsidized by the government. And so that's an awesome benefit, and you want to get enrolled in that as soon as possible. The other reason to get enrolled in it as soon as possible is in case you decide to go for public service loan forgiveness. This is the program whereby the government wipes out your remaining debt after you've made 120 monthly payments toward it as long as you're working for a nonprofit or a 501c3. But the more little tiny payments you can make, mostly as a resident, uh, the more you will be eligible to get forgiven. And so what some savvy medical students have figured out is you can actually enroll in the revised pay-as-you-earn program shortly after match day as an MS4. You don't even have to finish residency or don't even have to finish in uh, your medical school, nor do you have to wait the six-month waiting period to do it. And so that gets you a few more payments, which is useful because those, the difference between those little tiny payments you would make and your regular full payments you'll make as an attending is the amount that's left to be forgiven after you finish your training. And so that's the main thing you can do as a medical student with your student loans is just get into that repay program as soon as you can. It won't have a huge difference if you end up paying them off yourself anyway, uh, but if you're going for public service loan forgiveness, it could be the difference of, uh, you know, $10,000 or more uh, in additional forgiveness. But uh, as far as refinancing your loans, basically when you come out of residency and you know you're not going to be working for a 501c3 and going for public service loan forgiveness, that's the time to really refinance your loans um, because you don't want to refinance loans that somebody else might be paying off. There you go. Now, a lot of our EM studs are looking forward to interview season. And so talk to us a little bit about some some savvy advice for our students going to interviews. This costs thousands of dollars to many students. So what can we talk about as far as maybe some, uh, let's focus on airline flight costs right now. What do you think about those? Well, I mean, airline flights are expensive. So the goal is to do as few of them as possible. And so what you want to do is as you're lining up these interviews, as these programs are calling you, you're trying to put interviews that are in the same place next to each other on, the inter on your interview calendar. Now, you can't always do that. Sometimes you'll end up flying back out. Um, but I went on a lot of interviews, probably too many for my specialty. Um, but I ended up interviewing at 20 different places. And I took basically um, like four flights to do 20 interviews. And... The reason why is because I lined up my interviews so the ones in the similar areas would be together. So, for instance, I think I flew to Minnesota, interviewed, and then flew over to Michigan and got in a car. And I drove from Michigan to Maine. And every day I interviewed at a different program. 
Um, now, that's part of the reason I ended up interviewing at, at probably too many programs is, you know, the, I lined up all these interviews relatively early and then got more interviews at places I was a little more interested in. But at that point, I was driving through the city that day anyway. I might as well stop an interview. If nothing else, I get the free dinner with the residents. And so, um, you know, I think that's a big key is minimizing the airfare. But once you get there, you know, there are a lot of programs that will give you the opportunity to stay with the resident. Not only does that give you a chance to, you know, get to know the residents a little bit better, but you save on a hotel cost. And so that's a, a great way to minimize your interviewing expenses as well. Um, and then, of course, you know, take advantage of the free meals they offer while you're out there. And, um, and then you won't be buying quite so many of those yourself. But, you know, little, little tricks like that are really the key to doing um, you know, interview season in a reasonable way. Yeah, I think you just have to ask the the programs. Most of the programs are going to be very willing to offer you some housing, uh, affordable options, and, and things like that. You don't have to go to the local highway bridge and sleep under that the night before the interview. So I love your idea about the residents. I think that's I think uh, I think reason. I only I only paid for uh, a hotel at two or three interviews. I think uh, I think most of the time I stayed with residents on the interview trail and. So no Four Seasons every night, no Ritz-Carlton every night, huh? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm not sure I could have afforded a Motel 8 every night. But <laughs> uh, What about a best, uh, maybe a credit card for travel? A lot of people get the uh, credit cards with the miles from certain airlines or, or certain things. Uh, do you have any advice on that? Is there a, a, some best practices there you see? There is a whole sector of, uh, of you know financial blogs out there about travel hacking. And if you have the time to keep track of it and you have, you know, and you're following these uh, types of uh, travel hacking blogs, it's unbelievable how many different uh, credit cards out there will offer you miles and that sort of thing that you can convert into tickets. I think it's a little bit trickier when you have to travel at a certain time and you have to be back at a certain time. It's harder to buy those tickets with miles, but it can certainly be done. Um, but for the most part, when you're using a credit card, I think the key is just make sure you're getting some sort of reward for it. I mean, if you're going to use a credit card, you might as well make sure you're getting at least 1% or 2% back from that credit card. Um, but if you see yourself, you know, doing a lot of flying in the next year or two, such as residency interviews, you might as well get a credit card that pays you in miles and then use those. But which one to use really depends on you know, where you live and what airline hub you're flying out of. If you're going to be flying out of Dallas, you probably want something from uh, American Airlines. If you're going to be flying out of Salt Lake or Atlanta, you probably want something on Delta. Uh, you know, out of Denver, it might be United. So I, I think it's hard to say which credit card any given medical student ought to use. But, um, you know, the savvier you can be about it and take advantage of those benefits, the better off you're going to be. Well, Jim, man, there is a lot on your website that we could go into and probably talk all day long about some financial advice. Uh, some of the articles that I saw that I thought would be interesting for our EM studs are just being aware of some of the top seven financial mistakes that doctors make and how to avoid them. I think we covered some of the concepts in your article on financial tips for pre-meds and med students. And then I think we just scratched the surface of the article on 12 things to know about student loan refinancing. But uh, are there other resources at your website or through your organization? Sure. I think one of the best resources is the book. It's available on Amazon. It's called The White Coat Investor. You can get a Kindle version for your e-reader as well. 
and that is really the book I wish somebody had handed me as a medical student. And so it's, it's written directly for them. And the earlier you get it in your career, the more it's going to help you. I also have a White Coat Investor podcast. There's a White Coat Investor forum, the blog on the website, of course. Um, you know, there's a YouTube channel and just however you prefer to get your information. I'm trying to put it in that format so you can digest it in the way you like. And I think Dr. Dahl is going to be at a few conferences coming up. I know that you were uh, active at ASEP. I saw you there last year. And uh, also you're a, a, a tweeter. Is that right? You're on FOMED at WC Investor. Is that right? That's right. Uh, WC Investor is my Twitter handle. And um, uh, I will be at ASEP again this year, a similar format. It'll be an evening event sponsored by industry. And um, I try to get to as many conferences a year as I can. Um, but it's, it's a little, little tricky. It turns out it's a little difficult to replicate yourself and, and get to a lot of conferences when you're trying to hold down a career as a physician, too. All right. Well, Dr. Dolly, thank you so much for coming on to the EM Stud podcast. We really appreciate your wisdom today. Thank you for having me. All right. And that's another episode of the EM Stud podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our organization, please go to our website at www.cdemcurriculum.com. That's clerkship directors and emergencymedicine.com. On behalf of my colleague, ER Dr. Nate, this is your EMED coach, Dr. Scott Weider, signing off. Rotate well, my friends. Money.